Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of I Like to Read with me, your host, Rachel Polanski. Um, Once again, I apologize in advance about the loud air conditioning sound. It's freaking hot in Los Angeles. Um, We got some vegan chicken on the way. Um, Again, not sponsored, but a big fan of DoorDash. Um, I'm not vegan. I'm vegetarian. Um, My boyfriend is a meat eater, but kindly slash I think actually enjoys vegan products once in a while. Um, So he indulges me. So we're trying a new vegan chicken nugget place. Um, I've been vegetarian about 14 years, 13 years. I don't know like the exact date I became a vegetarian. Um, When I was younger, like chicken fingers were pretty much the only food I would eat. So that is the one food that I do kind of miss. Um, But I feel like there's enough like vegan substitutes um, that it's like, you know, tastes pretty similar. Like, um, this, <laughs> welcome to a podcast about books where actually I'm going to school you on the history of my vegetarianism. I'm just a little bit longer. I mean, Hey, maybe, maybe you're interested. This is um, a big part of my life. I'm definitely not like a preachy vegetarian. Like I am the only vegetarian in my family. Like I said, my boyfriend eats meat. Um, most of my friends do. I have no problem with other people eating meat as long as like, I don't have to touch it. Um, certain smells really do irk me. Like seafood, I don't really have a moral issue with. Excuse me. Excuse me. Um, it just like grosses me out and is slimy and it smells. Um, when I was younger, I did eat meat, primarily chicken. Every so often loved like a steak and cheese sub, but then it really got to the point where I was just eating chicken. And then I personally felt weird about eating animals, like something that was previously alive. I think maybe I like had one too many weird like experiences with sort of like a mystery meat type thing. And at least like, you know, with vegetables and with tofu and soy products, like, you know what you're getting. Um, I'm not a big fan of the fake meat substitutes. I am a fan of like tofu and tempeh and things that just like are what they are and they don't pretend to be something else. Although, especially if it's fried, um, I do love a good worthy chicken substitute. And I feel like Places have really stepped up their game in a few years. Um, Controversial, but I'm not really a fan of the Impossible Beyond Burger. I do think it's great that it's being offered at so many places for people who are meat eaters and like that taste or people who are vegetarian and miss the taste. But I'm personally like, just give me like a quinoa or a black bean or a lentil burger. Like I don't need something that's trying to be what it's not. Like I became a vegetarian, so I don't have to eat meat. Um, I think I read once a statistic that was like one in seven or one in five vegetarians like eats a burger once a year, a meat burger. And it's like, oh, you're drunk or you cheated or you just missed it. And I'm like, you know, you don't have to put that label on it. Like, don't self-impose yourself as a vegetarian. Like, if you want to eat meat once in a while, go for it. You could be like a flexitarian because I'm like, I'm not a preachy vegetarian. Like, I'm not going to, it does impact my dietary restrictions, especially like back in the days of restaurants and whatnot, but I'm not going to like preach and impose my values onto others. Um, But I do think it is like a little bit annoying when I've met and encountered many people in my life who are sort of poser vegetarians. And like, I take that shit seriously. The only time that some uh, real meat has touched this, these lips in a, yeah, that's what she said. Um, in a very long time, like accidentally, of course, every so often places will fuck up or something will have meat in it. I didn't know. I pretty much always noticed it. I think the most recent one was maybe some spring rolls that like accidentally had shrimp. Um, I usually just throw up, throw it out. I don't usually don't throw up, but I throw it out or get rid of it and it's one bite and I notice. Um, so that's a little bit on my background in vegetarianism. And like I said, we're waiting for some 
the place is called No Cluck Vegan Chicken. Um, I think it's pretty new. They didn't have much of an online presence. It's like one of those, you know, like small little LA ghost kitchen pop-ups. Um, but if you're here for that, thank you. If, if you wanted to just fast forward and get here for the books, hey. Um, like I said, <laughs> I'm Rachel. I read five to six to seven-ish books a week. Um, I'm here to talk about them. Usually the ones I'm talking about are the ones I like. Um, I don't often, I mean, I do a little bit of read. I don't go into a book, book totally blind. I'm not always like, I need to read the synopsis and I need to read the cover and the blurbs. But like, if enough people have recommended it for me, or if it's from an author I know I like, then I'm like, I'm just down to try. And usually I have enough of an open mind that I'm not going to, once I started, I don't want to stop. It's very rare that I will start a book and like just give up completely. But that being said, not every book that I read is great. Um, this week alone, I mean, I read a few more books than the five that I'm about to talk about. Um, I promise we're getting there. But, you know, they weren't, they were fine. Like, they weren't so bad that I didn't want to read them. I I definitely took something from them. You know, you can take something from every book. Um, but they're not worthy of being on I Like to Read. Um, but the books that are worthy, we're going to start with number one. Um, it's Let's Never Talk About This Again a memoir by Sarah Faith Halterman. Um, so I always find it like a little bit weird and unsettling, but like in a cool way um, when a memoir eerily echoes parts of your life or parts of a life of someone very close to you. In this case, um, Sarah's personal story and journey really echoes my mom's background. And obviously she's my mom, so I'm very close to her. So therefore I'm seeing a lot of that in this, which is a little weird, but in a cool way. Um, Sarah grew up in Newton, Massachusetts, just like my mom did. Um, Sarah's father um, has Alzheimer's and eventually passes away from that. So this book is sort of her reckoning with that. And um, unfortunately, it is a heightened, fast, quick process. Um, my mom's father, my grandfather, suffers from Parkinson's disease. Um, and that's been a much different um, decline, but it's still echoed very well in Sarah's book. She takes everything with a dark little slice of humor. Um, in my mom's case, her children were already semi slash full grown when her father started to decline. In Sarah's case, um, she actually got pregnant right as they found out that her father um, was diagnosed and it was a rapid decline. And she also, um, a big part of the memoir deals with the fact that uh, when she was younger, her father was a very prominent like sex writer, sort of like a 70, not like Porn, like a sex, like how to, like educational fun sex, like sort of Kama Sutra y, um, but it was never acknowledged. And her parents were very strict. They were very, like, square and by the book. Um, so, through, but they never, like, they never talked about it, as the title suggests. And then as his disease progresses and Sarah is working with him, um, that starts to come into play, just kind of as his mind is sort of all over the place without ever actually reckoning with the subject. Um, so it's a very, it deals with a darker subject of um, mental illness and um, illness in our parents and watching them decline. Also, this is perfect because it's bookended by Sarah's own pregnancy and her own reckoning with becoming a mother, um, all set to the backdrop of a New England town, an area that I am super familiar with, um, a situation that I 
luckily, you know, I don't have to deal with firsthand, but can see my mom deal with and a lot of other people deal with. And Sarah is just very real. I keep calling her Sarah because I just feel like she's a friend who wrote this novel um, immediately after I read it. I told my mom to read it. Um, I know she's one of my biggest fans. So, hey, mom, hope you read it by now. Um, and it's it's really just, it's, I'm looking at Goodreads right now and it's describing as Samantha Irby-esque. And if you know Samantha Irby, she's just like a wonderful humor author who deals with the everyday and makes it amazing and brings it to life. And Sarah does that too. Um, so this is, this is a fun one. Um, <laughs> I say everything is fun because like I'm reading it. So I'm taking something fun out of it, even if it's like a super dark novel, like I take the fun parts out of it. Um, but it is a moving journey and piece and a memoir that really, like I said, just feels like a friend wrote it and is telling you their story. And that's like the best kind of memoir. Um, so check that one out. Um, next we have The Death of Vivek Oji by Akwaki Emizi. Okay, so I hope I'm saying that right. Um, but this is a multi-perspective novel, um, as the title suggests, about the death of Vivek Oji. Um, we meet Vivek Oji kind of at the beginning of her death. Um, Vivek is a transgender woman. Um, however, it's dealt with very delicately because we are in Nigeria and this novel, um, she is only very comfortable being her true self in front of certain people. Um, so this novel deals with the effects of her dealing with the baggage that comes with that and navigating the world, um, trying to, when you're trying to be someone you're not to please people, um, how her death reverberates and impacts throughout the people surrounding her in this small Nigerian town. Um, it's just very, um, it, it deal like it separates sort of the concept of the body and the mind and really delves into um, family acceptance. Everyone in the novel is really well-written. There is like a little bit of a twist at the end um, because as with the best sort of, it's not a thriller, really. I mean, you know that Vivek Oji dies at the beginning. Uh, you know, the full name because that's what the title is. But how and why and the meat of the story doesn't get complete until the end. And then it is complete. And you're like, wow, that was very powerful. Uh, at least <laughs> that's how I was at the end. And it's interesting because this, again, is a cover um, – like, I, I, if, you, if you've been following for a while, you know that I read 99% of my books on a Kindle. So I do see the cover in color on Goodreads, but I don't get to, like, see the color right in front of my face all the time. It's just black and white on the Kindle. So I'm looking at it, and it's like a very – and you'll see it thanks to my lovely boyfriend, Jason, who will edit and put the cover right here. It's like a – it's a red and pink braid, like, going down the cover. And it's almost, like, beach-ready, young adulty, but it's so much deeper deeper and you get so much more out of it than you would if this had been written like as a traditional young adult novel like no shade to young adult novels I just think it delves into the nuances in a much more adult way um so that's my second pick of the week and that was another really great book um the third one is called The Silent Wife by Karen Slaughter now Karen Slaughter is like the queen of true crime she's like the John Grisham but better of true crime um she I've read a ton of her books. This one is technically part of like the Will Trent series. Will is a detective, but what's so great about all these books is the detectives are secondary characters and you get to know them 
their their stories progress through the books. But even if you haven't read any of the other books or if you feel like reading this one and then you jump around to like the third one in the series, there will be some like minor spoilers <laughs> about the lives of the detectives. But what's so great is like even if you don't know anything about them, you're still captivated in this novel. There's enough of a there's like a serial killer case that they're trying to trace and a bunch of different missing women um, trying first to even the first half of the novel even like delves with like, is this a serial killer? Like, why do these women go missing? Um, and it's just echoes and is relevant of like so many cases that have happened today, particularly if you've watched um, I'll Be Gone in the Dark or read Michelle McNamara's book about the Golden State Killer. Part of what took them so long to even like really figure out who this guy was and arrest him is there were three different names for him and three different MOs, and they didn't put together that that was the same guy. So Karen Slaughter definitely delved into a little of that with sort of like the ignorance of the police department. Um, she is so wonderful at humanizing victims. And it's, again, it's never really about the murderer you, at the end. It's first, it's not super obvious who the killer is in this book. Um, all of her books are just layered with like suspense, but not in an in-your-face way, in a very subtle way. Um, they are they're needy, they're captivating, and they're just a really, I, I just read The Silent Wife because that's her most recent one, um, but I definitely recommend like any book by Karen Slaughter if you're a big, uh, not true crime, but she takes things inspired by true crime, but if you're like a thriller, sort of just like want a little bit more of an escapism into a darker world where you want to take a break from like real life and separate yourself into a crime world, definitely check out my girl Karen Slaughter. Um, and next we have another memoir. Um, this is Abandon Me, Memoirs by Melissa Phoebus. Um, I have read a couple of other things by Melissa Phoebus, but I found this book because another queen, Melissa, Melissa Broder, um, who is an author, poet, and also has a podcast called Eating Alone in My Car, which definitely her style and her uh, aesthetic definitely influences a little bit of this podcast. She recommended this book on her podcast, I Trust, pretty much anything she says. Um, so I read this. It's a memoir about dealing with abuse and heroin issues and growing up as a fractured and broken woman and coming to terms with that and then finding her wholeness. Um, it's really beautiful and prosaic and poetic. And even though it's a memoir, it's written with a sort of sense of distance from, you can tell the perspective of the woman writing it is not the woman in this memoir but she is, and the fact that she's able to grapple with all of that just creates such a beautiful, beautiful collection of stories. Um, this time I did write down two of my favorite ones from it. Um, one was called Leave Marks, and it's all about like the physical marks that we leave in a sexual matter to claim others' bodies and to show our love, and especially with that sort of like teenage hickeys, and then relating that a little bit to like the vampires and the love bites and the the animalistic tendencies um, and painted just in a very artistic way, for lack of a better word. Um, and then Call My Name, which is sort of the disassociation, like I said, that I talked a little bit about. Um, but even as she's writing it, disassociating from herself that she was in the moment, um, particularly with her name and how she didn't feel connected to that. And she wanted to try on different spellings and she wanted to try on different variations of the name because she felt like that would help her be a totally different self. I mean, what young kid doesn't go through phases of like, I hate my name. I wish I had a different name. And if only I had that different name, then I would be like a totally different person. When really like it's not the name, you know, 
It's I also particularly love it because call me my call my name. It's not call me by my call me by your name, which you know, of course, if you know me, you know I love call me by your name. But call my name is just you know a little bit more of her reclaiming her identity individually as opposed to the connection with somebody else. Um, so that one is a little bit more intense, but also very. Um, accessible for slightly more, um, what's the word, like triggering, I guess, topics, um, but really paints them with pathos and empathy. Um, so check out Abandon Me by Melissa Phoebos. And lastly, we have Luster by Raven Leilani. Um, what a wonderful, first of all, this is a debut novel, and it reads like someone who just has a master of the English language. Like, um, there are so many wonderful authors out there and there's so many different writing styles, but to really read a debut novel with someone who just commands, like, walks in and knows what they're doing, like, I don't see how she can get any better from here. I'm excited to see what's coming next, but just every sentence is so thought out without being too in your face and it's enough is there. For, it's just It's really great writing. Um, the main character, Edie, um, delves into a relationship with a man who is in an open relationship. Um, then things get a little sticky there and she somehow like inserts herself into their home life, like in an odd couple situation, um, which could easily be like a very like, haha funny, like it's just more such a commentary on race. I mean, Edie and the author Raven Leilani are black. The characters that she interacts with are white. Um, she's also significantly younger and different financial brackets. Um, so that's socio-stratification, how it plays into their relationships, how it plays into her sense of self and belonging in New York City as a young, struggling artist. Um, she just, the ED just has a wonderful, we just get a glimpse into her mind and we really get to know her as a character. She's not the most likable. She's not perfect and she's flawed, but those flaws are like what makes us like her more. Um, so I won't give away too much on that one, but it is I mean, I've been waiting for it for a while. I heard really good things about it. Um, it has the social commentary aspect of it. It has the comedic aspect. It has the great writing. Like, it just has all the hallmarks of a wonderful debut novel. And like I said, I'm excited to see what comes next. Um, so I think that is it for today. I don't know if the vegan chicken is out for delivery because I'm using my phone to record. Um, I haven't gotten a call, so it's not here yet, but hopefully soon because your girl is hungry. Um, but I hope that you take one of these five books, um, maybe try some vegan chicken or, you know, push yourself out of that, your comfort zone, whether it's with a book or with a meal. And uh, until then, stay reading. Bye.